Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the She's in Tech podcast. I'm one of your panelists today. My name is Tracy Lee. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Lee, and I'm joined by two amazing other panelists, Stacey and Maria. Do you guys want to let us know where we can find you on Twitter? Hi. Yes, I'm Stacey Devino, and I am at Does It Pew on Twitter, and really excited to be here today. Get to ask some cool questions. Hello, I'm Maria Loza, and you can find me on Twitter with at this underscore underscore Maria. <laughs> we love it. And we are joined by two really awesome guests today, Deborah and Kim, Kim Adeline. Thank you so much for joining us today, ladies. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yes. And I know you two are also on Twitter. Where can we find you all? I'm at, at Deborah Carrada. Pretty easy. Perfect. So you're going to find me at Kimadeline underscore M. Oh, perfect. Awesome. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Well, the reason why we invited Deborah and Kim Adeline on this show today is because they have just done so much for the open source and JavaScript communities. Deborah, you know, we love you for all the work that you've done within the Ava community, all the teaching and learning and contributions you've made to helping everybody else be successful with Angular. Um, and Kim Adeline, I know you just joined the Redwood JS core team, and you've been making some amazing contributions to the library with TypeScript and now helping with a lot of community building. And, you know, this is so exciting, right? Like we're going to talk to two famous open source people <laughs> today. Famous, that's a big word. Well, maybe for Deborah, <laughs> but I'm, I don't consider myself famous at least. <laughs> So maybe we well, you're can... you're infamous, maybe. Maybe you can go with infamous rather than <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> Does anybody want to ask a question? <laughs> so I, I kind of do. What was kind of that first thing that made you actually want to post an answer or post part of your experience or a problem that you had? What was kind of your first experience with putting code out into the world for everyone in all their eyes to judge. Do you want me to go first? <laughs> well, I am significantly older than all of you ladies. And back in the day, we had something called CompuServe. I don't know if anyone has ever even heard of that, but that was pre-web pre sort of. And we used that as a stack overflow kind of thing, only it was significantly more friendly and considerably more nice. And um, But I was learning a new language. I had been a C++ developer and I had started my own consulting company. And my first 
consulting project was with, was with Alan Cooper. I don't know if you've wow. heard his name. Yes, yes. He's the <laughs> father of Visual Basic. And he wanted me to do his new project in Visual Basic. And I had no idea how to do that. I was a C++ developer. So I found CompuServe and started really participate or really reading and learning. And at some point, all of that, you know, taking, I figured I needed to give back a little bit. And so I started to answer other people's questions. And that's kind of how it started for me. I mean, there's only so much taking that you can do before you really feel like you need to start giving giving something back to the community for all of the help that they had for you. Yeah, but you know, the, the fact that you've done that, right? I mean, does everyone feel that way? Or <laughs> I hope so. It is it's very, it's very impressive to hear you say that because I know from my experience it's always a scary place for me to try to post any answers just for the fact as you know sometimes depending on where you post it some developers may not be as friendly <laughs> to your answer which is very discouraging or just you know getting your code out there because in, in the way it's you're putting yourself out there as well so you know thank you because I'm sure at some point I read something that uh, helped me that was from your answers and I love Stack Overflow and I always use it but it's just, it's amazing to have people actually contribute and, you know, put themselves out there, honestly. Yeah, Stack Overflow, though, is quite a bit more difficult because it's just not kind. <laughs> and that's really sad. And I, I keep, every once in a while, I get into this thing about, is there anything that I could possibly do to make it friendlier? I mean, would it be worth joining the board. And I think not unless I got a whole bunch of other people to join the board because one voice wouldn't, you know, be enough to make any changes because they are very set in how they perceive themselves and to elicit or to, you know, generate any changes there, you would really need for them to relook and reevaluate their purpose. And you know, one voice isn't going to do it. So maybe sometime when I have all sorts of free time, I'll gather a group of friends and we'll all take over the board of Sack Overflow and make it a kinder, gentler place to, to be for developers. But right now you just sort of have to um, do the best you can and hope other people will jump in if you get too badly <laughs> <laughs> attacked like I was not too long ago. So, and there were quite a few people that, you know, came up and said, and it helps too. Right now I have just huge numbers for whatever their little ratings are. And so several people answered with, you know, she wouldn't have such high, um, whatever those numbers are, if, you know, she didn't really have something good to say. And so that was helpful, but just starting out, you don't start with that. And so it's, it's more, it's more difficult, but yeah. I think my second answer on Stack Overflow got negative points and like <laughs> made my score overall negative. And what's kind of bad about that is that like it can haunt you <laughs> for like years and like maybe somebody seven years down the road just like hits it negative one more time. And you're like, really? <laughs> really? And, and uh, you know, who you were seven years ago and what what it is now. I, I almost feel like there should be something that says, that you should be able to like 
go back, revise and like apologize or put a better answer, or, you know, it's a learning experience. And I think a little bit of negativity is fine, but like, you should, like, I should be able to like fix it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and, yeah. and, and resubmit or something. Yeah. I think the negative downvote on a question is the very first thing that if I were president and owner of Stack Overflow, that would be the very first thing that I would get rid of. I would toss out the downvote. Some days, you know, if I just have a few minutes and nothing to do, I'll go up on Stack Overflow to the Angular or the RxJS sections and just upvote anybody's questions who got negative votes. Just because I hate the negative votes so much. I guess I shouldn't say that. They'll come after me again, but. Um. It's okay, you got a posse. You got a whole <laughs> group of people like ready to ready to crack behind you. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I, um, I first started, I think it was about, geez, it was junior college. That was about four years ago that I finally decided to either ask a question or post an answer on Stack Overflow. And that was, for me, that was a big deal just for the fact that I was just starting, you know, it's like, obviously these people are way smarter than me, but I'm going to do it. You know, this is an important thing for me as a developer. So I did it. And then I think like a week later, I got a negative on it. And I was like, no, that's so sad, you know? And then I think it was like years later, I finally got to a, a respectable number where I can at least, you know, accept answers now. So I was really happy about that. And then that same question came back to haunt me and someone negative voted on it. And it's like, why? I barely got to a nice spot. I, I no longer won't even remember about that, but it's still on my profile. But yeah. That's really funny. So it's almost like if you get negatives, I mean, I could see how that's like, oh man, I better contribute more so I can somehow get to a positive rating, right? But it's like... <laughs> That healthy or not? I mean, it doesn't seem like it's that. It's like negative money in jeopardy. Like, why do I even keep playing? Yeah. <laughs> well, Kim Adelin, you know, based on what I know, and maybe maybe your experience is a little bit different, but how did you get involved into open source? Did you just like open up Redwood and say like, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> no, so... Uh, it was born of necessity. I guess I should have mentioned before, uh, but I work on the Python extension of VS Code, which is an open source extension. So I do, I have a work GitHub account. And then I was, so the way I discovered Redwood was I was registered to attend a JavaScript conference. I think it was the Cascadia JS Pacific Northwest conference. And they had retweeted Redwood, who was like, hey, we need some help with TypeScript. And I was like, hey, I do TypeScript uh, for my day job, so I can probably make a meaningful contribution, you know, something that I kind of know about. So I wrote to them, like on the forums, and I was like, sure, I can help. And we were like five or six people who were like, yeah, sure, we can help. And they were like, okay, we're just getting some things set up, and uh, we'll get back to you. I'm like, okay, fine. They're going to forget about it. <laughs> well... They didn't forget about it. So like three, three, four weeks later, I think, I think it was like in June, like more than six months ago. And then they like mentioned all of us, say, hey, we're ready to accept TypeScript <laughs> contributions. And I was like, right. I remember I said I would help. And I was like, sure, I could pretend like, I could pretend I could ghost them, you know, and pretend none of this happened and be like, I don't know, I, my, my dog ate my password or something. But I kind of felt bad. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I said I would help, so I'm going to help. 
and I helped a little bit and everybody was super welcoming and like it would, it, they were great at making you like making newcomers feel like uh, integrated and accepted. So I just stuck around. And then as Redwood was building momentum and getting more people, I, I contributed a bit less, but was still like around kind of like, you know, standing in a corner, watching over people. And uh, because it was still around, then they were like, hey, would you mind help us build a community? Because you like using emojis and that would be super helpful. I'm like, sure, why not? And uh, that's where I am today. Oh man, you're, you're sounds like both of you have very, very positive. It sounds like initial experiences. Have you kind of encountered anything negative that made you just go kind of like, oh, screw it. I don't want to do this anymore. Or like, I don't want to work on this project. I don't want to even help debug the problem I found. Cause you know, these people are just not great in terms of whatever. Have you encountered any of that or either of you, I guess? Other than Stack Overflow. Because <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask the same question about Stack Overflow earlier when you were talking about it. I wanted to ask if you had any bad experiences with it. Because, Well, at least as part of Redwood, I haven't in particular. But as part of my day job, sometimes people think that when something is free, that they're entitled to have whatever they want, even though it might not be the wishes of everybody in, in the community. So sometimes people are also not very good with words and might come off as more blunt than than what they intended. I don't know, like just general lack of self-awareness. Um, but but because of that, I like whenever I reply to an issue or anything, I, I reread myself like three times to be like, how would I feel if I got that answer? Because I don't I don't want to be that person although sometimes sometimes you do say look we can't do this and then there's many more people who come up and say but I want this yes but we can't and then people get mad and they leave one star reviews but oh well can please everyone would you say that they are choosy beggars is is that the a good I'm term I don't know what this means <laughs> so there's a there's a term uh, especially in the U.S. called a, a choosy beggar people who don't just want it for free, but they they want a super specifically nice thing for free. Like, oh, uh, I need a car, only something that's less than five years old and has less than 30,000 miles and I need it for free. Thank you. And and that's kind of the term of a, a choosy beggar. So is that something that you find is like somewhat pervasive or common in your work? There, there are some people like that, but I, I haven't encountered that that many people who are who are like this, I guess. I guess most of the what I've seen is like, either this doesn't work, this extension is the worst, I'm going to switch to use another editor because really I cannot do anything, you break everything. Okay, <laughs> then go. <laughs> or people who we add support for one thing and like, what about this other thing that's super duper important that everybody use it and the only people who uh, add a reaction or say me too are just, themselves <laughs> like we well, when people request a new feature we add a message say hey sure so uh, we're just going to leave this open for one month and people can go and thumbs up that feature uh, so it can help us like prioritize uh, enhancements also this is all through my day job i haven't seen anything with redwood redwood is just rainbows and sparkles um, and and sometimes after one month the the, the original poster didn't even leave a thumbs up on their feature it just came by said I want this and then and then they left 
which is a bit weird, but okay. I mean, I think all the bad players, you know, just my journey into open source as well, I felt like I was so welcomed. And because of that, it, you know, it's like there have been bad players, but the good outweighs the bad, right? Like you develop so many friendships, I feel like within open source communities um, and you, you know, so many people can benefit from the contributions. So even though you have to deal with like, you know, some people sometimes like Deborah, your Stack Overflow experience was terrible, Um, but you know, you're still here. So geez, (laughs) thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, and I ran into I run into that a little bit on Pluralsight as well. But the nice thing about Pluralsight is that you can't join that anonymously. And so, you know, the anybody who sends you feedback, you know, you have the ability to respond back in a lot of cases. So one person actually sent to me, um, and I I had kept this actually in my pocket for probably a year because it helped me, you know, anytime I felt like I was, oh gosh, I'm really good at this. I would just read this again and realize that, but somebody had submitted a comment on one of the courses that I did for Pluralsight that said, your voice literally makes me sick. Is there something wrong with you? But because it was a person sending it, I could actually reply And I think that this person was used to posting like on Stack Overflow or somewhere and had no idea or didn't really think through the fact that I was going to reply to that. And so I said, oh, um, that makes me so uh, sad. Oh, I didn't finish the rest of it. I messed the story up. Uh, He he basically said, um, you, your voice is so horrible. It makes me sick. It's, it sounds like a computer, something to that effect. And so I wrote him back and said, um, I really wish I were a computer because then I wouldn't feel so horrible about this comment. And then I gave him some suggestions for increasing the speed because that sometimes helps how the voice sounds or decreasing the speed of the player. And he wrote back, oh my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He just had no idea that he was actually talking to a person and just crushing me. And I mean, though, 20 great courses couldn't even begin to away this, you know, you literally make me sick comment. And I don't think that people sometimes realize how incredibly hurtful that they can be. And so the other thing that I would do with Sack Overflow is, is make it so that, you know, everyone was an actual person with their real name. And so there was accountability on what you're saying. And I think people would be nicer then and not so anonymous. But yeah, that those kinds of things are just immensely difficult to, to get past when you're the receiver of something like that. Oh, you have to have a thick skin, like just not care, you know? Yeah, well, I have a hard time not caring, yeah. I guess. But yeah. Yeah. You care. That's why you contribute. Yeah. Yeah. It's a catch-22, it right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because like for me, YouTube, YouTube comments or anything like that. I mean, I don't even read them to be honest, but like if I did, would I see anything negative? I don't know. Maybe. But you know, that doesn't actually get to me as much as like 
people that are close to me that are my mentors who, you know, say, say something negative, right? Like there, I had this one mentor and he, he really, uh, uh, he said something to me before this talk one time and it just completely killed my, like, I mean, I still think about it and it was three years ago, you know? So I don't know. That's, that's, that's interesting, but being, being nicer to people, right? Like I'm always about like humanizing open source because it's people, <laughs> you know, you're talking to people on the internet. You should probably be nice to them. And, you know, you guys have all set great examples. I feel like on, on the internet of how to behave and Kim Adeline, like hearing about how you're there watching people on Redwood, you know, just kind of like being there as a positive influence is really just, I mean, I think sometimes that's all that people need. And, you know, it's weird because I felt, I feel like in, in a lot of my life, I've always been brought in as like a mediator in like open source dev community. <laughs> like, is it just like put a woman in the room and everything's better? Like the balance does not run out maybe. Hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. I mean, not necessarily. I think one of my <laughs> earliest, my earliest, like, attempted contributions to a Linux driver to fix some things and add some support to something. The, <laughs> the uh, literal review said... This stinks worse than a diaper of a child who just ate Indian food. And I was just like, like crushed at the same point in time. I think like two hours later, I just started dying laughing because I was like going, wow, they put a lot of thought into what would be the most horrifying thing that they could do to kind of try and destroy things. But then I received a lot of like personal comments from other people saying, oh, yeah, this this has this other problem that you're probably not aware of with this interaction on this other part of the system. And that's why, like, your thing solves part of it, but it doesn't solve the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, that would have been really, really useful for somebody to like <laughs> come back. But, you know, it, it's not going to show up in like the comment on the like it was it wasn't garrett based system it was a different thing it was a long time ago but you know it there there's always good people and i'm i personally i think that some of you probably have seen the same who've been around a little bit is that do you think that open source has gotten friendlier over especially i like the last decade decade and a half I think there's been some attempts in some areas. I wouldn't 
know widespread in general if that was the case, but it it seems in some areas that there's at least been attempts to make things less less toxic. Yeah, that's kind of hard to say because for me, it's, if it's on the internet, it's always a hit or miss, regardless yeah. of what platform it's on. You always have those the nice people, and then you have the not nice people, and there's always going to be a experience that you'll have. And Sally, as we we heard, everyone has at least one experience from at least one site of not nice people. So it's just, and I think that's what causes a lot of um, new programmers to not want to contribute you know, one for the fact that they're not sure how to go about it. And then two, it's the, are they going to be welcoming to a first time contributor or even someone who's starting up who might have an actually great uh, idea on how to fix something. So that's, that's, that's my answer. So I think there's maybe just something to be said about like being open to open to failure and open to constructive criticism. Do you find that that, like the people that you want to hire or work with, frequently contribute something in open source or is that like a skill set you also look for just in in other parts of your work to either Kim or or Deborah? Kim, do you want to go first or? Sure, sure I can. So before contributing for open source for work, I never contributed to open source. Sure, I had repos on GitHub, but it was like interview interview repos that you had, you know, when they give you five hours to do something and you take eight, but you pretend you did it in five hours and you're like, sure. And then they don't hire you afterwards anyway. You know, that kind of thing. I don't I don't think contributing to open source is a requirement because it's just code you contribute to, right? I feel that a willingness to learn is more important. And actually, uh, I prefer working with people who've never contributed to open source before, because this way I get a chance to try to work on them on um, better open source practices, right? Then they don't come with preconceptions or their previous like history. Then then we can start from scratch and actually pick, you know, good smart. role models to to yeah. work with. Build build good role models. Build yeah, exactly. Role models from the ground up. I think for me too, like just looking at. I feel like people who are in open source, not all of them, but a lot of them tend to be more kind of teaching focused or more inclusive for some reason. That's what I've generally found. But I mean, that's not everybody, right? I think it's a pretty broad generalization. Well, one thing, you know, especially in the hiring area, I um, have my own company. And at one time we had, you know, 30 employees. And so I've done a lot of hiring over the years. And one thing that I always try to be careful of is that different people have different priorities and different places they are on in their life. You take, you know, again, uh, this is kind of woman focused. You take a woman who's got two children under six and still a you know, really good software developer, you can't fault her for not being really active on open source. I mean, between, you know, the house and the husband and the kids and, you know, school, and especially now with, you know, little daycare and little going off to school and, you know, trying to work. And, you know, there, I don't, I don't think that it's a good criteria for employment that you would, you know, only hire people with 
a lot of open source experience because you might be missing developers who just are in different places in their career or in their life or you know maybe someone I know people that are you know more at my age that are now dealing with elderly parents and they can't put them in a facility right now because who wants to put their parents somewhere that they're going to be you know possibly well things are changing now with finally having some vaccinations for um, those older people but yeah really but you know so they can't necessarily contribute so using that as a measure of a good employee versus a not good employee to me might be throwing away some really potential good employees um, just because they're at a different place in their in their lives so i i try not to look too much at you know what they're doing on their non-work times when I'm evaluating them for a for a job position. I don't know how the rest of you feel about that, but I think that's a really good point. And you know, I see so many of my friends in open source maintaining these libraries. And I'm like, man, you have three kids and you're able to make contributions. How do you even how do you even exist in this life when I can barely I can't even, you know, like they could do so much more with so much little time. But yeah, like that's, that's completely true. And, you know, also if people are in open source, sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean they're a good employee either, right? That's kind of something yeah. that I found like, oh, you're an open source, which means you care about that. And you don't care about your job. Well, that's probably not going to work out. <laughs> yeah, so it's an interesting thing to to look at, but I don't think it should be a um, a gating criteria. You always hate to put up too many gates. I mean, that's one of the problems that we all are struggling with over these past, you know, 30 years is just opening the gates and, and not building more in terms of, of opportunities and, and teaching people and, you know, let's not put up a bunch of gates for beginners into technologies and you know, Stack Overflow, going back to that again, can be such a, a gate in terms of, you know, especially getting people involved because you have to have <laughs> so much uh, thick skin going in in order to feel like you can can do anything there. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Leading from that, what advice would you give new beginners, you know, when they want to try to contribute either answers or questions? You know, typically what I try to tell them is starting off with GitHub, there's some labels that um, repos have called first time timers only that are welcoming for people who are trying to get into contribution contributions for the first time. Or even I tell them, you know, Google, uh, GitHub, first timers only, because there's so many researchers out there that are telling you this is exactly the projects that are open for it. And these might be the conventions on how they want to do it. And, you know, so, so stuff like that. What would you give advice for yeah, for both Kim and Deborah or anyone actually? Go ahead, go first. <laughs> okay. Well, in terms of good first issue, that's a good starting point. I think for Hacktoberfest, somebody made a page, or there was a page, right, that was listing uh, good first issue, issue, issues somewhere, wasn't it? I don't, I don't remember. 
I think that was. But I feel that contributing is not just contributing code. Like if you show interest about a project, if you start like, like for example, if I take Redwood, if you start building something with Redwood, then you can share what you build. You can like give feedback to the developers. Like you can like file issues, write documentation, whatever, give a talk about it. And I feel that's also contributing to a project. Sure, you're not writing code and your name is not going to appear in the code base yet, but it's still part of participating in the community. Yeah, I really liked what Maria had said too. I mean, that's a really good uh, suggestion. One of the things that I hear people frequently suggest is start with documentation. And, you know, in some places that works and other places it really doesn't in my mind, you know, like the Angular documentation, since the documentation is written in Angular, if you're really going to contribute fully to the Angular documentation, you still have to download and install and have runnable the entire Angular set of libraries. And so it's not very beginner friendly. Uh, I doing my first contribution and realizing like, no, that's not going to help change the docs. Here's all the other steps you need to do. And it was like, man, I was just trying to change like a few words here. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So we're talking about how to try to make that a little bit more, you know, beginner friendly in terms of, you know, first contribution friendly, maybe. But so Contributing to the docs isn't always necessarily an, an easy first step. Um, in terms of Stack Overflow, one of the things that I think would be useful is spend some time just reading, you know, read the posts that are getting good answers and how those answers are phrased and um, just to kind of learn what is a good answer before you just start answering. And that will give you some better background by which to, to dive in with a higher probability of not getting negative responses. But you know, Stack Overflow is just hard because it's kind of a crapshoot as to whether you're gonna get some really negative feedback. I've seen some people just completely delete their question if they get a lot of negative feedback on it or delete their answer, same thing there. But I don't know, I think I think starting is, is difficult. And I think one of the problems with getting started is just taking that first step. I think finding someone that can be a mentor in that would really be a, a good way to go. And Having a mentor for your first post on Stack Overflow seems very absurd, um, but it might be more uh, applicable to um, you know some of the other ones. Like I would just love to have a mentor on on how to really get involved with doing good open source contributions because I did it once and just screwed up so majorly bad that I have been afraid to do anything significant since then. And I would love to have someone hold my hand through um, getting started again with some kind of, I mean, I've done a bunch of little things, but nothing major uh, since then. Just 
because it was such a horrible experience. Um, so that might be really nice if you could find someone to actually kind of hold your hand through it. And, and I'm incredibly embarrassed to say this, but get just kills me every time. It completely tears me down and I can't, I can't seem to, I've taken get courses. I've watched all the get Pluralsight courses. I, but whenever I do it, it just isn't right. And because every open source project has its own rules for whether you're, you know, merging your requests or rebasing or not rebasing and exactly what the wording on every one of the things is. And everyone seems so different and so complicated. And so very, very embarrassingly, I don't go there because I yeah. just feel like I can't succeed. That's um, that's funny that you said that you did a bunch of little things and you haven't done anything major yet, but all the little things you did is already more than people who did nothing. <laughs> what is what is major really? Like it is already major for a couple of people, right? I think every everyone I talk to is like Deborah Karada. Oh my gosh. You know, like we were at Angular Contributor Days and somebody was like, oh my God, I learned Angular from you, Deborah. So yeah, it's like this uh this this you know perception thing as well, right? It's like I think uh, you know, having Asian parents <laughs> very much like nothing's ever good enough. I'm succeeding, but I'm not really succeeding because I need to do better, right? And it's like, am I am I like, you know, I if I just realized that I'm, you know, told myself I was awesome, like I'd probably feel awesome all the time. <laughs> just like well, I, I was on the original Angular 2 documentation team. So back when, before Angular 2 was Angular 2 and we were doing the documentation for it. And, you know, it started out fine because it was easy. And then it moved into an extremely complicated process when they formalized it. And I just, yeah. you know, I... If somebody could just tell me what the steps are, I would be happy to do them. And I just couldn't get anyone to actually tell me the set of however many steps I needed to do once they went into the whole documentation as an Angular app process. I could never make it go. I couldn't get someone to help me get the steps right. And I just, I made one guy spend an entire day redoing what I did because I'd screwed it up so badly. And that was when I said, okay, I'm. I'm done. <laughs> well, do you think that's a form of gatekeeping in and of itself? I oh, mean, yeah. I find that these communities, especially certain ones, because there are so many unwritten rules in terms of how to contribute. And a number of them also require that, you know, you basically know somebody who's already on the team of maintainers to plus one and merge anything that you put forward. I think it kind of squelches a lot of voices and I kind of understand from a, you know, a certain aspect, like this is everybody working on their own time. They maybe don't have time to read every single thing, you know, it, and all of the kind of components around that. I almost wonder if there shouldn't be some sort of like, you know, we have like the 30 days of code and Codetober and, and all that kind of thing. Maybe we could have some sort of like one week of Codetober was like open source week and everybody went through all their co potential contributions and and like helped people actually go through it or 
something along those lines and or created documentation around it. Uh, one thing I've noticed, especially in the mobile community, is there has been a big push in the last two years to really give people instructions on that. So I don't know. No, that's yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. There's a lot of gatekeeping, even if they don't realize it, just for the fact that if you go to like for me, I depend mostly on readmes when it goes to, you know, GitHub. And if the readmes are just like, you know, the, the description of what the project is and that's it. There's no like this is how you set it up. This is what you should have on your local, first of all. And then, you know, maybe you need credentials or something. So it's it's if they're not going to explain it, but they're expecting you to help, how 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 are they welcoming? And they're just not I guess, taking into account that the people that they're asking for help are not part of the team or have someone within the team to explain it to them. And then it goes back to, yes, you you also kind of need someone inside the team to get your, you know, your, your pull requests even looked at and even get a good, you know, review uh, at the end of the day. So I really love that idea that you said right now, like have just like a week almost just for open source where people come in, you know, give their, their readme's love and, you know, make sure that it's actually understandable for people and be like, hey, can you just, I know you don't know anything about my project, but can you just look, come look at my readme or come look at the documentation? Does it make sense? Awesome. It doesn't? Okay, I need to go fix, you know, this one line or something. But yeah, I think that's that's another part that makes it almost intimidating for people to come in and, and want to contribute. Yeah, kind of like what people used to do back in the old days where they would put people in a room and behind one-way glass, watch them try to work with their product. Let's get somebody on phone call and watch them try to get started with their first contribution and see how your instructions you know, work or don't work for someone trying to come in. I think that would be a really uh, fun, uh, fun project to to do and to watch and to uh, see and maybe really eye opening because the people who do it all day, every day, every night, all day, they don't probably remember what it is that people don't know um, and what, you know, a two-word description to them means everything they need to know, but it's not useful for, you know, your average uh, person who wants to help. Yeah. Well, this was such great conversation. And, you know, I hope open source maintainers listening to this have like, it has, this has inspired people. And, you know, I hope this also inspires everybody to kind of have better voices in the open source community and, you know, find mentors and, see if people can help you. I remember, Deborah, you were helping me with like Angular Forms when I was first starting and had no idea what I was doing. So, you know, it it seems like all that everybody needs is just, you know, one person kind of rooting for them. And (laughs) hopefully that gets everyone started. But to continue this conversation, make sure to find all of us on Twitter, continue the conversation, Uh, go and, you know, upvote or, I don't know what they call it on Stack Overflow, but find everyone's Stack 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 Overflow account here and just go like everybody's stuff. <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.